Hey y'all, and welcome back to my Big Fat Recovery, episode five. Today's guest is Chelsea Levy, and you're going to meet her in just a moment. Um, But before you meet her, I just wanted to pop on and say a quick hello, um, and thank you for listening. Um, If you are new to the pod, hey, hello, my name is Molly Robbins, and I'm your host. I am a fat bitch in recovery, uh, here to help other fat people in their recoveries. Um, This podcast is not only meant for fat people, but um, anybody can benefit from it. And I hope that today's episode was as informative for you as it was for me. I know I learned a lot talking to Chelsea. Um, I did notice while editing this, um, it was sort of driving me nuts how often I said, yeah, absolutely, um, in response to what Chelsea is saying. And I don't know what the fuck was wrong with me that day. I think I had just taught a yoga class and I was a little bit like too chill and a little bit too like brain dead. Um, but you know, we're, we're embracing imperfection over here. Yes, we are. Um, and speaking of embracing imperfection, I just wanted to apologize real quick for the gap in episodes. Um, This is the first episode in a little bit, and uh, it's been a while since the last episode. Um, If you have not listened to that one, go give it a listen, as well as the other four that are out. Um, But yeah, it's just been a little bit of a season of change for me, and this summer is always sort of challenging for me in my recovery. Uh, The heat is just not my friend. Um, But, you know... I'm just out here vibing, and I hope you are too. So without much further ado, here is episode five. So let's learn a little bit about our guest. Chelsea is a certified intuitive eating counselor. She earned her Master of Science degree from Hunter College, which, fun fact, is where my grandmother went to school back in the day. And she completed her dietetic internship at CUNY School of Public Health in New York City. Chelsea is committed to utilizing health at every size principles in her approach to nutrition therapy. She works with individuals struggling with disordered eating and eating disorders with a focus on weight-inclusive medical nutrition therapy, body image healing, and intuitive eating. She also has a special interest in treating individuals with diabetes in larger bodies and those who identify as transgender or non-binary. She believes it's vital to provide care relevant to an individual's culture, ethnicity, and overall identities. Chelsea hosts a collaborative space for the exploration of food and body healing through creativity and compassion. Before her focus in nutrition science, Chelsea worked in art production and has a Bachelor's of Fine Arts in Photography from the School of Visual Arts in New York City. An artist, I love it. In her spare time, Chelsea enjoys live music, practicing yoga and meditation, and fine arts. Welcome, Chelsea. Okay, well, first, Chelsea, thank you so much for coming on my Big Fat Recovery. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks, Molly. It's a pleasure to be here and an honor. Yeah, well, we have so much to talk about, and um, I love the content that you put out just even on Instagram, and I would really love to hear you know, more about like your journey and um, your work that you do with clients. I kind of wanted to start off by talking a little bit about how you got to where you are today, both with your individual journey with food and your body and society, but also with your journey to becoming a dietitian, um, and specifically like a health at every size and anti-diet dietitian. Yeah, absolutely. So I sort of stumbled into the non-diet, anti-diet, space that we know as as 
haze, health at every size and intuitive eating focused. Uh, I was in a career in production, art production. My background was uh, initially in fine art photography and I worked in um, art galleries cur doing curation and I shifted into production uh, yeah, to make a living in New York City. And in 2008, there was a big hit to the economy. And so uh, I sort of was scrambling to figure out kind of my future and noticing that there was a lot of burnout in production. Anyway, long story short, I made the decision to go into dietetics. Mm -hmm. um, I am an empathic healing kind of person and I wanted to go into healthcare and had to go right back into all my prereqs and get all the science prereqs. Mm -hmm. So um, in in effort to do that, um, part of the decision to go into dietetics was the idea that, well, I could help myself manage my body size. And for those out there who don't know me, I am in a larger body. I identify as fat. And um, I was in a straight size body as a child and weight cycled in my teens and basically chronically mm -hmm. dieted for 15, 20 years of my life. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, I could save myself and others by learning how to eat healthy. That was initially my entry point. And yeah. I had tried every diet and nothing stuck. I weight cycled my way around and um, uh, through a family member who has an eating disorder recommended a dietitian who uh, works with intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. And so within three sessions, I was convinced to <laughs> not attempt to lose weight. And uh, I basically got into a master's program um, and started it a year later. And so my entry into graduate school was with the knowledge of how unethical and um, lacking efficacy uh, weight loss has. And so that was wow. really intense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of unusual in some ways and that a lot of people go through their education buying into the sort of diet culture and fat phobic way that oftentimes those educations are presented and it sounds like you went into it eyes open kind of knowing the reality of things yeah I did and I I saved my own sort of headspace and life by uh quitting that chronic dieting I had really hit a wall and I found a beautiful space of healing for myself and so when I entered dietetics I was really excited to teach others about intuitive eating and health at every size mm. sort of direction. Um, but it took existing in a weight centric medical model for two years intensely where my cohort of, uh, you know, bought into uh, the weight loss model, the weight centric model. There's one classmate that went into it with the intention of not being weight centric and we teamed up to do as many projects as we could uh, in wow. grad school to teach others about intuitive eating and health at every size. Uh, a lot of qualitative data as there's not a ton of 
RCTs um, mm -hmm. and quantitative data uh, uh, out there. But whenever we were allowed to utilize uh, this, yeah, qualitative, we, you know, we would team up and get together and do that. Um, so that was uh, hopeful. And I think we've, you know, planted some seeds along the way to our peers which is really exciting. That's amazing. Especially like while people are so fresh in their academic journey, they're really like forming their views of how their field works. So that's amazing. And I'm so glad that you had like an ally through that process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, as somebody in a fat body, I definitely had to tread lightly on when I had the emotional um, availability for myself to speak up against mm. things that were harmful because it was not only an attack on, you know, the modality that I was going against, but um, an attack on my personhood, you know, because wow. I am a fat person. So I was sitting and being lectured about uh, the O word for those out there who don't know it, it's mm -hmm. obesity. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really it was really um, an intense negative experience to go through. Um, and so the person that I was an had an ally with um, is in a straight size body. And for those of you who don't know the term straight size, it's essentially like, like uh, non-fat, non not, not wearing plus size clothing person. Um, and the ideas of like marginalization, you have access to, um, you know, seats and access to healthcare. And yeah, it's, it's a different, different way of existing in the world. And so I was really fortunate to have that ally and I still do to this day. So grateful for you hmm. out there. You know who you are. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And it's so important, you know, as hard as it is to like be a fat person speaking up, and having to deal with that process emotionally, oftentimes other thin people will listen to thin people more anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's, I think that's why it's so important to have allies in those spaces too who will speak up so that we don't have to constantly be, you know, making ourselves vulnerable. Um, and, you know, maybe they'll be more likely to listen to somebody, unfortunately, in a straight-sized body. Yeah, I welcome all the allies. If you're out there, and you're on the fence or, you know, ambivalent, but you want to get into learning more about um, being that positive or supportive to marginalized bodies, um, I'm here to support you in, in doing that. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. How did you kind of care for yourself, um, both in the classroom and out of the classroom during that process and stay true to what you knew to be true? And, um, you know, like, how do you kind of maintain the lens that you have and the knowledge that you had through that process? Yeah, that's um, a great, great question. And a lot is coming to mind because um, going to graduate school is kind of like a blip of time where life, everything outside of, of grad school sort of pauses and you sort of live in the library or wherever it is that you study. So uh, there, there's definitely like a imbalance temporarily. Um, and I would say that no matter what your sort of alignment with or beliefs are, um, things are just out of balance for a period of time while you're studying. I, I don't mm -hmm. know if you, if you had that experience in school, but um, yeah. it, yeah, the studying to get um, a graduate 
graduate degree in science is pretty intense. And so yeah. um, there were a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of like, you know, um, meals that were like from the vending machine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so doing the best I could. Um, in terms of like managing um, the weight centric model, it was sort of like just sort of uh, setting your expectations up. Like, you have to get through this. You got to work with it to help other people and do less harm. I continue to like connect in spaces that uh, are meaningful to me that were aligned with intuitive eating. Continue to see my dietitian for just like moral support. Um, I had her come speak at um, my school about intuitive eating. So wow. really just, yeah, being a proponent as much as I could and sort of, yeah, um, yeah. making friends that are in spaces uh, virtually that are aligned with these values. Yeah. Um, but again, when you're in school that intensely, it's, it's sort of a temporary time that's out of balance. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like almost being in survival mode for a lot of it. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in a science heavy program like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then as you like sort of transition to seeing clients and working with people, um, what is sort of your approach to working with folks who are struggling with diet culture, with eating disorders, with fat phobia? What is your role as the dietitian in supporting them? Yeah. So, uh, just to clarify, I'm finalizing my uh, licensure. So oh, I'm okay. a certified and certified intuitive eating counselor. And mm -hmm. um, I'm a dietitian to be once I finalize that. And so okay. I am I have been working with eating disorders in private practice um, and have a caseload. And basically, it's part of a multidisciplinary team. So you'll see a, um, often a psychiatrist is part of the team, a therapist, sometimes endocrinologist, um, gastroenterologist, it, it, it really depends, sometimes OT. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think PT, and of course like a PCP, your primary care physician, gynecologist. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, um, trying to think of who else. Some, sometimes they're specialized with eating disorders and in other cases they aren't. So working with communicating because it's behavioral health. And so my role um, in nutrition is focusing through the lens of, um, yeah, dietary intake and learning about sort of the technicalities of how to heal that relationship, whether it's reviewing labs, um, helping somebody with deficiencies, or um, yeah, it can it can really run the gamut. And yeah. so I'm trying to think of what else. I mean, on the other side of that, I also focus on body image. And so mm -hmm. uh, with lived experience, that is a really big piece for me. I went into this work specifically because I'm social justice forward and I have an interest in working with marginalized bodies uh, particularly larger bodies as I have that lived experience, but also um, interested in working with the trans population 
there's a big intersection between eating disorders and the trans population. And though it's not my lived experience, it's a piece where I really want to offer more care where there is hmm. not, not enough care. And I, I'm seeing a lot of need for it. Um, somebody I care about who's close to me is trans. And so I have a lot of yeah. passion for that population I've learned along the way. And mm -hmm. I'm also really interested in working with um, diabetes and PCOS because there is so much weight stigma that we see in the medical system around um, diabetes and PCOS, um, especially related to weight. And um, there's just very little care that's safe, that's mm -hmm. medical nutrition therapy, that technical care. Uh, and so I would like to be an advocate for my patients, uh, you know, when they're going into areas where they need to, you know, feel safe and maybe it's not, I can try to advocate for them or help them advocate for themselves. Yeah. And that's a big part of what I do. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's so needed. And I know, you know, as somebody who has dealt with PCOS in relation to my eating disorder, as well as um, at one point, a type two diabetes diagnosis, the weight stigma in that world is like aggressive. It really is. I don't know what it is, but like in yeah. other disorders and ailments, we don't see it to the same degree. We see it in commercials mm -hmm. on a regular basis. Yes. Um, and all the messages that, you know, if you are if you get fat or gain weight, you're going to have diabetes, you're going to get diabetes. Well, that's mm -hmm. just not true. Um, people mm -hmm. in smaller bodies get diabetes. So, yeah, you know, it is way more complicated. And I'd like to ultimately just create less, you know, like harm. I would like to offer more harm reduction as much as possible and help people heal their relationships with food and body. So what that could look like in a session of nutrition care mm -hmm. really ranges depending on the needs of the person. It's quite individual, which I love um, outpatient care for that. Yeah. So something that I was kind of thinking about is I imagine that people walk into your office or into your Zoom if you're virtual at this point in the pandemic, um, having a lot of sort of expectations of what nutrition um, work might look like or body image work, or specifically if they have one of those diagnoses, they probably have been told a lot of things that are harmful. Mm -hmm. I, I sort of picture you as doing a lot of myth busting. And I was wondering, <laughs> what are like some myths that people walk into your um, work with that you find yourself busting a lot? Yeah, I love that. I love that <laughs> question. <laughs> I definitely bust myths left and right. Yeah. Um, and I like to roll my eyes sometimes. I get sassy. Good. <laughs> and we, we should. And we get we get to laugh in in sessions. Um, so let's see. Um, the idea that if you like avoid eating, um, your needs aren't relaxed. And somehow, if you start eating, then your needs come up and. I get that a lot across different types mm. of eating disorders. You know, the idea that like, it's such a pain to have to adult and take care of this, this focus to eat regularly. And when, when they feel uh, the connection to their sort of metabolism coming back a little bit, um, 
that embodiment can feel really overwhelming. And so mm -hmm. there's a lot of, well, if I just don't eat, then I don't have the need. And it's like, no, the need is still there. Your, <laughs> your brain still needs like 25% of your carbohydrate intake. And that's like 45 to 65% of your total daily energy needs. So mm -hmm. I often mm -hmm. remind people of that. Um, that's a big one. It, I'm trying to think. Um, myth busting. I feel like there's probably a lot around those diagnoses of like diabetes and PCOS, I can imagine. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, people like to pinpoint certain macronutrients and, um, yeah, demonize carbohydrates. Um, and, yeah, I love to sort of neutralize it all and find balance and joy in navigating nourishment. Hmm. Yeah. There's definitely more. I can't think off the top of my head right now, but yeah. Um, yeah. It's like whatever is creeping up that is a protective source in a disordered relationship with food and body. Uh, there's usually some sort of myth bust in there. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I think that um, in my own recovery has been like such a huge part of my journey is like mm -hmm. having information so that people can arm themselves with, you know, like the facts about how bodies actually work instead of what diet culture tells us mm -hmm. <laughs> about how bodies work is a great way to start to really question the eating disorder and push back against it and, push back against diet culture and the fat phobic nonsense that we're inundated with. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that, that you get those myth busts. <laughs> You're oh, inter yes. able to internalize the good stuff. Yeah, no, it's been so necessary because I think it's harder for the eating disorder to argue with facts. You yes. know, it's one thing for you to say like, well, you should do recovery because like, or you should not diet because it's, you know, what will make you feel better or like, because that's what you should do versus saying like, well, I know that like, there is no like long-term empirical data supporting that X, Y, and Z, you know, that mm -hmm. is like a much stronger um, sort of comeback for the eating disorder, which is why I think nutrition education and information and the, that myth busting is so important to people's recoveries. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And you work a lot with people, it sounds like, kind of throughout their journey. Um, what does recovery, you know, in your life of, like you said, you kind of experienced some weight cycling and dieting and living in a fat body in this world. And then you work with people who are recovering from eating disorders, too. Yeah. What do you see as recovery? And um, what is like sort of the goal that your patients are working towards? Oh, I love that question. Um, yeah, so this sort of, I mean, trying to see like where to enter this because it is mm -hmm. such a large topic. I mean, between disordered eating, AKA chronic dieting to an eating disorder, whether it's like chronic or acute, um, ultimately the healing is getting to a space where you can nourish yourself consistently without compensatory behaviors around movement or anything else to manage sort of your relationship to the body um, and what that relationship to the body can look like 
can certainly ebb and flow as all relationships do. I don't, I don't think that anyone, one person has a static relationship um, with, with themselves or others, right? I think about healing as, and, and existing as fluidity. So um, I like the idea of, of not really thinking of recovery as like a beginning of A to B to C. And I know it is cliche to sort of name but I think about the body image in itself, um, it truly is not linear because there's so much cycling yeah. between our hormones and aging and fluid, you know, um, shifts from drinking fluids to moving our bowels to urinating. I mean, there's shifts going on all the time and there's synapses in the brain going on all the time, right? Yeah. And so the relationship with the body is always sort of in shifts. And so I think the goal is really like how we relate to it, how we react to it, um, to find a space where there's um, a neutrality. I'm a big fan of body respect and body neutrality. We don't have to love our body to take care of it. You don't have to like, yeah, said love, you know, um, your teeth to brush them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and your body blows the I'm a big fan of of that focus, uh, particularly across um, gender, non-binary lines, uh, folks going through transitions. I think it's it's really important to focus on that body neutrality, over body positivity, um, yeah. and also these these are all words. Like it really matters, like how the people I'm connecting with and working with relate to language and what it means to them ultimately, right? So mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think that uh, the goal is to have more space and pleasure and joy in our lives as much as we can along, along those healing lines and that can look different for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I love that answer. And I think there's definitely so much like individuality that should be highlighted in people's recovery. I think too often we try to put people into like a cookie cut, cookie cut, blah, 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 a cookie cutter <laughs> version of recovery that you know is very. It's you know it doesn't account for individual individual like individuality and experiences of living in your body. And I love that you're kind of approaching it from an individualized lens. Yeah. Totally. I mean, when it comes to higher level of care, unfortunately, it becomes less individual. And so yeah. I sort of hold space for those those times where people come and go through the system of recovery um, or eating disorder of care, um, whether it's a residential facility or a partial hospitalization or day program mm -hmm. um, out to that outpatient care. It, I, I just know that that individual care is where the deepest work can occur yes. and the other places are sort of preparing for, for that time. So uh, I love to honor the individuality in, in folks and help them find space for it to express mm -hmm. it. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes a session could look really typical, like what did you eat and how is, <laughs> how are your labs looking? And, you know, 
your electrolytes are looking good and your um, intake is consistent or not, uh, you know, like that kind of idea of nutrition. But but there can also be sort of relationships with like fear foods and exposures or, you know, which foods we enjoy and do we allow ourselves to have them? Why or why not? And what's the history of that? And what is, you know, your relationship to food and body that you were taught from your family and society and how that impacts how you, how one sort of steps into their body and lives their life. So so many moving parts and every session can look really different. And I, I just love this work so much. I'm really honored to hold vulnerable space for people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think you're totally right that like that work around food as culture and food as relationships and your relationships to food and everything like that is so important. And I think it's something that a lot of the time people gloss over as being frivolous or unimportant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's also just so true that I think a lot of the work happens at that outpatient level. I think at least in my experience, treatment sort of kept me alive while I like got started. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think it's sort of a weird trend that I see where people associate treatment with recovery. And in reality, it's so much more complicated than that. And it's really about integrating it into your life, Mm -hmm. which is where like the support of an outpatient team really comes in. Completely. Yeah. It takes a lot of time. Yeah, absolutely. So holding space for that and trying to provide, um, more visibility to the idea that people in marginalized bodies uh, have these needs too, that Mm -hmm. you can be in a fat body and need support for recovering from an eating disorder or from chronic dieting. Um, That so often gets dismissed or missed. And so I'm just, yeah, really pumped to just try to engage in the system of uh, meeting people there if you never have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What do you kind of wish that people understood about eating disorders or about nutrition or um, the work that you do? Yeah. When you say people, people as in the people I work with or? That's a good question. I was kind of thinking like the world in general mm-hmm. um, or or the people that you work with. Maybe let's do both. Yeah. Um, I want people to know that biochemistry is really complex. And yeah, I've heard... People talk about nutrition as being super simple and also super complex. And um, I sort of like to over can feel really sort of easy um, mm-hmm. if we give ourselves the space to have permission to eat a variety of different foods and find pleasure and connection and and really hold space for that embodiment. Um, but yeah, like 
being so concerned about deficiencies or um, health disparities is, uh, you know, a risk for a health outcome in itself because it's stressful. Yeah. And so finding ways to manage your stress around taking care of yourself is so important. Um, counting and, num you know, being really um, intensely controlling around the way we try to heal can be really harmful. So sort of trusting that our body is really resilient and that you can eat all kinds of food through your week and you're going to, you know, average out, like, you don't, you don't need to worry about getting a vegetable and a fruit on every plate or, you know, the exact percentage recommendations for macronutrients because bodies uh, are quite resilient. And uh, yeah, it's about averages. It's not about like getting exactly what you need at each meal. I do think that like having, um, you know, cert it depends on the situation, right? Like I, I like to tell people um, eating consistently and nourishing yourself um, presents in in a way of like biological needs, but also uh, mechanical needs to like, maybe you have like a, an appointment or a meeting for work. And so you don't have time to eat when you're gonna feel like physically hungry. So you have to eat before that um, mm -hmm. and that's self care. Yes. You know, and Absolutely. so it's so individual, like those needs. And of course, like, you know, having balance or getting, getting what you need. Uh, yeah, it just, it's a process of looking closer with a clinician and trusting yourself to play and explore. Um, because when you're in an outpatient setting, you have that, that safety to do it. You know, yeah. like you're, you're being monitored, but it's not that higher level of care that maybe there isn't room for the play. Yeah. And so this is an opportunity to do that, to figure out what doesn't work um, with safety. Yes. Which I really love. That's awesome. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Well, I think that was kind of like the questions that I had for you. Was there anything else that you were thinking about or like wanted to share? Yeah, I, I think a lot about fat phobia in our culture and sort of the, the efforts that I wanna make change in sort of what systemically is happening. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the work that I'm doing individually with clients on healing body image to yeah reflect a safer space for folks and so uh i i really encourage everyone to get sort of interested in supporting marginalized bodies whether it's um fat bodies uh black bodies trans bodies whatever it might be a woman non-binary you know these are spaces where there's systemic issues and um, you can, you know, support the, these populations in different ways, depending on what kind of work you're in or, you know, sharing information or learning and supporting can be really helpful and make all the difference. So 
I'm a big, that's sort of general, but I'm a big proponent of supporting marginalized bodies to have yeah. safety. So sort of naming that and um, yeah, I just want to encourage people to think about that because it's just, it's different than just whether or not you feel like comfortable in your jeans. It's being able to fit on an airplane or being able to get um, safe care, um, you know, the, these or access to care. That mm these -hmm. are not the research that uh, we see in healthcare too. So mm -hmm. when we think about supplementation um, or just any sort of disorder, like what was there any research done on marginalized bodies? Uh, yeah. in any way shape or form or was it just done on a bunch of like Thin, white men yeah. because yep. that's problematic and that doesn't really meet the needs um and and that's sort of a gap in the medical system um where can we offer evidence-based medicine if the evidence isn't including marginalized bodies absolutely so yeah. Yeah, I'll have more to sort of offer in time as I maybe build some some roots in advocacy on that. But mm -hmm. that is something I'm thinking about. We discussed earlier that you know we connected online. So I this past year during uh, the pandemic, I joined the COVID nineteen eating support page oh, to yeah, offer yeah. <laughs> meal support, and um, that came to an end in the spring. There was a lot of burnout. Um, you know, clinicians just having to care for their families at work and so forth. And I, I decided to keep doing it once a week on my own page and have found it to be super gratifying to support folks all around the world who haven't had the ability to have access to care. Mm -hmm. And maybe all they have um, is this space, this free space where there's, you know, clinicians offering um, space for them to connect with each other and or and and myself and whoever I talk to. So each week mm -hmm. on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I I eat. We I had the pleasure of uh, having you on, and I'd love to have you back. Yeah, totally. It was fun. Um, I love meal support. I yeah, I started doing COVID nineteen eating support, um, and that was I mean that was just huge for me and connecting with the community in doing kind of walking the walk and not just talking the talk about my own recovery. Mm -hmm. um, and really, oh man, it just, that was a really good feel good thing. And I'm so glad that you've been able to continue to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I, I've definitely had moments where I'm like, oh man, like, you know, will I stop? Will I keep going? And mm -hmm. it just feels really important to keep having that space. Uh, there's, there's people out, out there still showing up and, I'm just, I'm like amazed by everybody. They remember each other's doctor's appointments and, yes. it, you know, like they know each other's names and the community is real, even the though they're just like usernames popping up, like mm -hmm. people have still gotten to know each other, which Truly. is amazing. And that connection is for some, all they have had. And so it, it could be, you know, the difference mm -hmm. between, getting food on a plate and getting nourishment in that day. So um, 
it's super meaningful to me to be able to facilitate that. And I look forward to continuing to do that and hope to facilitate other types of groups in the future um, once I finish credentialing and sort of have more space mm-hmm. and time. Absolutely. I, yeah. It's such a powerful thing to be able to do. And I know that it's something, you know, there are certain aspects of this work that sort of deplete my mental and like my resources and whatever. And then there are some things that really sort of fill my cup and add to my resolve and my energy. And I think that online work is definitely, I don't, I'm just speaking for myself, something that really has kind of kept me going, um, connecting with actual people who it's helping and who are finding community and supporting each other is a huge motivator definitely for me. Um, and it sounds like for you too, to kind of see that. It's beautiful to witness and I'm honored to be part of it. Um, yeah. yeah, I look forward to continuing to offer it. I'm excited for future meetups with other clinicians and folks that I bring on and try to make it as entertaining as possible, but also just um, a means to a supportive space. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so valuable. Absolutely. Yeah. How else can people, so they can log on to the Wednesday 1 p.m. Eastern Mm -hmm. support. How else can people work with you? Yeah, well, so that 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, meal support is also recorded. So folks can go Mm -hmm. to my Instagram, Chelsea Levy uh, Nutrition, and go watch those recordings and eat snacks and meals and find the support. Uh, they can also find me at Prosper Nutrition. I work with under Amy Severson, who is an eating, a fat eating disorder uh, dietitian and activist in Bellingham, Washington. And um, it's been an honor to uh, learn from her. She is politically minded and a true advocate for, mm-hmm. you know, fat folks out there. She just co-wrote a book on um, how to raise an intuitive eater. Um, and it's called raising the next generation with food and body confidence. She uh, co-wrote it with, uh, Sumner Brooks who runs EDRD pro Mm. and yeah, I feel really aligned and supported by community. You can find me through there. I also am launching my website. So perhaps by the time this posts, you'll get to see yeah. my website is chelsealeavynutrition.com. So folks can reach out to me there. So yeah, Prosper Nutrition's website and my oh, personal yeah. website as well as my Instagram. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I'm just so glad that we've gotten connected. I really appreciate the work that you do and the things that you talk about and that you post. And I know that folks really appreciate your authentic way of showing up for their recovery and for their meals and in the field. Thanks Molly. I really appreciate that. It means a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, And yeah, thank you for the work that you do. It's a pleasure. Thank Um, you again for having me on here. Totally.
Well, that wraps up episode five of my Big Fat Recovery. Thank you so much for listening and for being here. If you want to listen to more, there are four episodes before this one. So make sure you go check them out and subscribe or follow or whatever you do. Um, And if you want to follow us on social media, that could be fun too. So uh, you can find the podcast on Instagram at my big fat recovery podcast. And you can find me, your host on both Instagram and the TikTok at Molly in progress. So hope to see you over there. Uh, Lots of recovery advocacy content for you. Um, and yeah, can't wait for the next episode. Um, I have a few episodes, like I said, that I have recorded that I just need to edit and I'm just trying to, you know, keep my ducks in order and do one thing at a time. And that is all we can do. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Chelsea Levy as much as I did. She is truly an icon. Um, please go check out the show notes where I have all of her info, um, and how you can find her and check out more of her work. All right. Stay fabulous, everybody.